News drives markets, and every day, Montel's experienced reporters are on top of the stories that shape European market developments. Can you afford to miss out? Go to montelnews.com for the latest price-driving stories and a free trial. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters from home offices across Europe. My name is Richard Svarsson. Today, we're talking gas, and in particular, we'll be looking into current market dynamics, prices, pipelines, LNG, and much, much more. Joining me is Carlos Torres Diaz from Ristad Energy. A warm welcome to you, Carlos. Thank you very much, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I said in the intro, from home offices everywhere. But I gather you are working from your office, Carlos. Yes, exactly. We're gradually uh, coming back to our normal activities. So it's, uh, it's good to be back, back in the office again. How have you been coping in these coronavirus times? I mean, it's been super hectic times for us because everybody wants to have an update of what's happening with the market. So even if we're at home, we were working nonstop and trying to keep up to date with the developments in, in the market, which we're going through very interesting times. Absolutely. And before we talk about the outlook this year and next, let's discuss what's happened so far to the European gas market in terms of prices. Prices have been on a descending trend over the last couple of years already because there's been very ample supplies coming into Europe, especially like in 2009, we had like already a record low prices due to the, the large volumes of LNG coming. But now in, in 2020, the current lockdowns have exacerbated the situation. And high supplies have continued to arrive and demand has dropped substantially due to the lockdowns. And some of the major countries that have been experiencing the worst lockdowns, such as Italy, France, Spain, which are some of the biggest LNG importers. So then this has not only impacted the regional market, but it has had implications on the global supply and demand. How low have prices gone? I'm thinking here in the TTF and in other parts of, of Europe, particular southern Europe. Yeah, well... Prices at the moment, they're trading at around 5.1 euros per megawatt hour, uh, which is uh, some of the lowest uh, levels that we've had on record. And yeah, it's like even below the Henry Hub price. So then this is a, a situation that is not sustainable for the international LNG market, especially. However, there's a, also a steep contango in the curve, which gives hope for, for the future. A contango, for those listeners who are not familiar with that term, is when forward prices are higher than spot or near-term contracts. There's been talk of force majeure in China earlier this year. Have we seen this happen in Europe? Have you heard of any cases in Europe? Yeah, I mean, some of the Chinese companies tried using force majeure clauses to try to cancel the deliveries of LNG cargoes as their demand would have dropped also substantially. However, the sellers did not agree to accept this uh, as a force majeure uh, and then it, it, was, um, it was not accepted. And it, like some of the European buyers, especially in Spain, were also considering using force majeure clauses to, to reduce the, the deliveries into, into Europe. But I haven't heard of any confirmations of this has been accepted as a force majeure. However, there has been cancelling of, of LNG deliveries, especially during the current month. So then it's uh, maybe not as a force majeure, but uh, it seems like the buyers have managed to reduce their deliveries into Europe. So there's been more 
renegotiation. Yes, exactly. And I mean, some of the long-term contracts allow for postponing some of the deliveries and have take-or-pay clauses, which uh, maybe allows them to, to reduce to some extent their deliveries now. So it could be related to volumes that could be reduced as, as part of the contractual terms, but also maybe by reaching an agreement with the suppliers to postpone some of these deliveries to, to later this year or maybe next year. Are you hearing of potential insolvencies or maybe an increase in credit risk? Well, not really. I mean, the producers of natural gas have been cutting down their capital expenditure substantially for 2020. So this is shielding them from like insolvencies. However, it's definitely not a good time to be a, especially an LNG producer. Um, however, we also need to remember that the LNG producers are exporting most of their volumes through long-term contracts. So through the long-term contracts, they are covering most of their costs. So even if the, the spot prices are very low, they're still being shielded by the prices stipulated in the contracts. And in terms of gas demand, Carlos, how low did we fall? Yes, um, this has varied a lot from country to country, depending on the, especially in the power sector. Overall, like the demand during April in, in Northwest Europe dropped around 29% from the, from the industrial and power sectors, which are the ones that are more directly affected by the shutdowns. So this is this disregarding demand from the residential sector. So we've seen like in April, a drop of around 29% compared to February. That was before the lockdown. And of the countries that were most hit, um, it was, uh, yeah, France is one of the, the highest hit and also Italy because uh, they have more serious lockdowns. However, as I mentioned, this is a bit dependent on the power mix composition. So if a country has very large coal capacity and uh, that can switch between coal and gas, then in these cases, the the gas demand has been shielded to some extent because it's uh, the drop in power demand has pushed out coal rather than gas. Because gas remains as a, the prices are so low that it remains very competitive versus uh, versus coal. And that would be crucially the UK, the Netherlands, Germany, and Spain. Yes. So these countries haven't seen such a big impact on the power demand as it could have been expected, or as it had been in Italy and France, where they don't have this uh, capacity to switch to coal. A drop close to thirty percent is enormous. Yes. Have we seen signs of recovery? Yeah, so so far the, the latest numbers for May suggest that the drop compared to February is 22%. So then we see that we already reached the bottom in April and things are starting to gradually move back to, well, maybe not normal, but at least uh, to higher levels. And this is, I mean, this is a reflection of uh, Italy start, uh, gradually opening up also some, some more relaxed uh, lockdown impositions in, in some of the, the European countries. And what do you expect to see in the coming months, Carlos? A return to pre-COVID-19 times? No, we're still uh, forecasting that it could take more than two weeks or even a month for things to get to gradually to the what uh, it was before COVID-19. However, we're still forecasting that the remainder of the year demand will be lower than previously forecasted because we're expecting a very big slowdown in the economic activity or economic growth, which will reflect in, in lower demand. So actually... This, we're forecasting demand to drop globally around close to 2% compared to 2019. And this is the first drop that we'll be seeing since 2009. And how does that reflect in different parts of Europe? Uh, what are your expectations for demand going forward? Well, yeah, also we're forecasting maybe between 1% and 2% lower across Europe throughout 2020 compared to 2019. It will still be a, a bit dependent on the economic comeback and the uh, economic stimulus that the European Union is imposing, uh, how effective these are to reactivate the industry and the commercial activity. 
but overall we're not expecting things to be back to normal so then definitely we're expecting demand to be lower across europe but we're still seeing huge amounts of lng coming into the market what's going on here vessels are still coming into to harbors across across europe from from southern Spain to, to Poland. Yes, I mean, it hasn't been that easy for the LNG producers to adjust down their volumes because, because there's some technical limitations on on adjusting down production. So normally either they continue to produce or they need to shut down completely their, their LNG trains and they still have contractual terms that they need to meet. So then that's why we haven't seen such a big downward adjustments on the supplies. And this has uh, kept the European market, well, we could say oversupplied. Uh, however, there has been signs of some lower production during the last, uh, especially during April. So we've seen um, total LNG exports uh, drop from around 33 million tons in January to 29 million tons in April. So, I mean, even if it's not a, a huge downward adjustment, it's definitely uh, a slowdown in exports. And this could maybe uh, help balance the market better during the coming months which is also the months where demand starts dropping in the Northern Hemisphere. Which of the LNG producers are suffering the most? And where could we see lock-ins or, or shutdowns? The US producers are some of the marginal suppliers to both the European and, and the Asian market. First, because they're, they're paying Henry Hope market prices for their gas, and also they have longer transportation costs, especially to Asia. So then these are some of the exporters that are suffering the most. However, as I mentioned before, they are also... Most of their volumes are sold through the long-term contract, so they're only suffering on the volumes sold on the on the spot market. But then, as a result, we've also seen uh, Sabine Pass, which is operated by Chenier, that it's been one of the LNG terminal that has reduced the most their their exports. And we've also seen some, uh, probably some of the Eastern Australian uh, LNG producers have some of the higher production costs, which could also be suffering with the current market prices. How about the Qataris? Yes, Qatar has the uh, advantage of uh, of being very centrally located, so has lower transportation costs to both Europe and, uh, and Asia. And they also have very cheap feed gas. And on top of this, they also have liquids that are associated to their gas production, which also benefits the whole economics of the LNG exports. So overall, even with the very low prices, the Qatar is one of the countries that is still breaking even and can continue to export. Are you seeing an increase in distressed cargoes or vessels with, with no home to go to? Yes, definitely. I mean, LNG cannot be a, a, like floating around for a very long time as oil can. So they will always go as low as uh, as needed in order to deliver the, the cargo because it's very expensive to keep the cargo floating for a very long period. So that's why we've seen such low prices. But uh, yeah, and definitely a lot of these spot cargos are not covering their, their short or marginal costs uh, and they are being exported at a loss when being sold in the spot markets. And the pipeline players, how are Norway and Russia reacting in this price environment and the, the supply glut? Yeah, well, so far Norwegian exports have remained very stable and, and quite high. However, we've seen a uh, downward adjustment in, in Russian exports to Europe. But this has been since January, so it doesn't. It's not necessarily re- related to the low demand that we're seeing now. It seems to be more related that there has been availability of cheap LNG already since, uh, like, for more than a year. So then, probably buyers are nominating less volumes from their Russian contracts and taking advantage of the low LNG prices. However, there's a limitation on how low Russian flows can go because there's also take or pay clauses in this um, pipeline contract. So then, the buyers are obliged to take at least 80% of the volumes that have been contracted with uh, Russian exporters. So then I don't think that Russian volumes have the capability of dropping more than 
they are at the moment. So then with demand dropping uh, during the next couple of months, it has to be either maybe Norwegian flows or also LNG that will have to adjust down. And we're also entering the period of uh, maintenance in the Norwegian continental shelf. So then this will also help balance the market to some extent. How about North Africa, Algeria and Libya? What's happening to their flows? They have also been quite low, but this has already been for an, uh, like a long period because some of these uh, countries are like uh, struggling to keep up with their production. So then this hasn't really had a, an impact on all European balance. It's mostly uh, Norway, Russia and LNG that are, are fighting for the market share, while the northern African countries are really struggling to bring some of the previous production volumes back online. With prices at five euros a megawatt hour or even below, this must be close to or under production costs for pipeline gas producers, Carlos. Yeah, for sure. So then, I mean, Norway also has a very low break-even price, and then maybe it's barely breaking even at the current SPTF uh, prices. Uh, but when we consider uh, Russian exports, since they have to transport the, the gas for a much longer distance and also have to pay higher taxes to the to the Russian government, then some of the Russian flows could be not covering their their operational exports when selling in the spot market. Is there a a likelihood that the taps could be turned off soon? Well, I mean, uh, I don't really think that the taps will be turned off because there's contractual terms both from the suppliers and the importers. But then on the other hand, we've already seen um, in Norway, like some of the troll volumes being reduced and pushing them back to 2021 to try to reduce the, the supplies, the total supplies. And we could see a similar situation from, from Russian producers, maybe saying like we adjust down our investments uh, for 2020 and um, and this will eventually result in slightly lower supplies. But overall, we, we don't expect a, a huge uh, downward or like downward revision in, in, in production or exporters just shutting down the pipelines. It, uh, we're expecting this to be a bit more uh, on the LNG side where, where supplies need to adjust down. The other side of the coin is storage. It's gradually filling up. And what happens when these storage facilities are full? And and when could that happen? Yes, I mean, um, the storages are at the record high level. They ended up the withdrawal season already at a record high level because the, the winter was mild and there was so much LNG that could provide flexibility in the market. So then definitely there will be less need for injections during this summer. And we're estimating that there will be around 5 to 7 BCM less need for for gas injections in, in uh, Western Europe during this summer. So then if LNG doesn't adjust down, then we will see prices could remain that drop even further from the current price level. Again, it's something needs to adjust down or we will not, there will not be enough uh, demand for the, all the available supply. So there's a big risk of seeing even further prices, uh, low prices in during the summer period. So LNG needs to adjust. Yes. Otherwise... They seem to be just cannibalizing their own market. Yes, exactly. Amid these low prices, do you see gas fire plants fully operational and that uh, power producers are switching to gas away from coal? Yes, if the price dynamics remain the same uh, for certain. Like at the moment, the TTF price is way below the coal to gas switching range. So even the most uh, inefficient gas plant is, is better to run than the most efficient coal plant. So then we expect this to continue happening in the countries that have the capability to switch from, from coal to gas. However, there has also been like the coal market has been fighting back and the prices have been also dropping. So if, if we continue to see a, a drop in coal prices and maybe also in carbon, then eventually we could see some uh, coal power returning. And this especially if, like, as I mentioned before, there's a steep contango in the 
in the TTF curve. So maybe during the, the winter period where prices are closer to 12 euros per megawatt hour in uh, gas prices are closer to 12 euros per megawatt hour, then at this level, maybe it will be economical to run uh, coal plants again. But at the current uh, scenario, it's, it seems that gas is a lot more competitive across Europe. And if we see a potential shortfall in French nuclear availability uh, in the winter, then uh, I suppose gas plants will have to step in and fill the gap, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first it would be uh, gas in France, but if if, um, if there's a like a substantial drop in in nuclear capacity, then maybe France will need to import more power from neighboring countries. And this could imply some German coal plants having to meet also this uh, additional power need. This would boost the demand for carbon too. I suppose that'd be, there'd be some upside for CO2 prices. Yeah, for sure. I mean, carbon prices have also dropped substantially. They're now closer to 16 euros per ton. So then if we see a higher demand for, uh, for coal power generation, then this could be a bullish signal for, for carbon prices. Let's move the discussion on to the medium and long-term future for gas. I mean, we've seen in recent years a massive expansion of renewables. Does does gas have a future in the post-COVID-19 world? I mean, what, what's the role of gas here? I mean, we don't see a huge risk for gas at the moment because it has proved to be a very stable uh, supply source and also cleaner than coal. So then we're forecasting demand to continue growing at least towards the end of this decade. Uh, and this is especially because even if we have a very large growth in, in renewable capacity across Europe in both solar and wind, uh, then there's also a lot of coal plants and nuclear plants being decommissioned. So then we see gases like supplying the base load power to be able to back the intermittency of renewables. Uh, however, in the more longer term, like towards 2040, we see that uh, eventually renewable growth could start eating market share from the from gas fired power. And how about hydrogen? When or if will that be feasible? And, and when will it have a place in the market? That's a, a very difficult question to answer. I mean, there's a, a lot of ambitions when it comes to hydrogen, like both Equinor and Gazprom have mentioned the intention of exporting in the future hydrogen to Europe. But then I haven't seen any real evidence of progress when it comes to, the, to actually materializing this, uh, this trend and, uh, and like making this technology efficient enough. So even if there's a lot of potential around there, I think there still needs to be some technological improvements that make the production of hydrogen cheaper and more energy efficient. Absolutely. There's, there's plenty here, Carlos, to keep a close eye on. And many thanks to you for joining the Montel Weekly podcast. Thank you very much, Richard. Remember, listeners, to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or anywhere where you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.